Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. I'm about to preach a sermon that, as you might suspect, was written prior to this afternoon. Watching the unfolding events in our nation's capital, our vice president escorted to an undisclosed location, the halls of Congress evacuated, broken windows, a death now at the Capitol. I thought it might be time to tear it up and pray for the best, or maybe just say nothing much of all. But when we talked and prayed a few hours ago about how our liturgy tonight might respond to this moment, we added the great litany, which seemed to provide words of supplication and contrition, prayers for deliverance, meant to ground us in the eternal mercy of God in an anxious moment. And I decided, likewise, to leave most of the sermon intact, trusting that the wisdom and the rhythm of the liturgical year pulled something forth that might be of use, something more useful than a few hastily composed thoughts, I pray, And hopefully the fact that this sermon was not written for the day the Electoral College's votes were to be certified, but for the ancient feast of the Epiphany, will give us a little space to hear what that story might still speak to us across all these centuries, because I do believe it still speaks, even to lives like ours, even on days like this. The sermon I wrote began with a Facebook memory of all things. One of those suggestions the platform makes, encouraging you to repost something from a few years back. It was was a photo of a TSA warning near the belted maze at Terminal C of LaGuardia Airport. And the sign read, please be advised, snow globes are not allowed through the security checkpoint. Below the announcement, the universal snow globe symbol, who who knew there was one, was shown inside a red slashed through circle to communicate this prohibition to the illiterate and to emphasize it a second time to the rest of us, don't even think about bringing a snow globe onto this plane. So we didn't. Of course, it was pretty easy to imagine some poor tourist with a new snow globe he'd paid 28 bucks for at the Statue of Liberty gift shop. Chances are he wasn't a terrorist. Chances are he had no violent intentions at all for this souvenir. Even though now that TSA mentions it, a decent snow globe does have enough heft to do some damage were it to fall into the wrong hand. Most likely, it was a gift. A gift for someone who knew the traveler had been away and would be pleased by his return. A snow globe, of course, is a fairly useless sort of gift. Except for the small pleasure of shaking it up and watching the tiny flakes float down on Lady Liberty. And for the much larger pleasure of knowing that somebody picked it up, packed it in his bag, and brought it all the way back here to you, just because. Now, of course, we're left to imagine someone's snow globe that sits locked in an airport closet with all the others next to a pile of pocket knives and four-ounce bottles of shampoo. And it's enough to make some of us wonder, are there other gifts in our lives that get removed from circulation? Removed, to be more specific, by fear and what seems like a perfectly rational need for control. 
Now, if you were made to read the various commentaries on the readings for the Feast of the Epiphany, you would learn a bit about the possible symbolic meaning behind each of the gifts that were brought to Jesus. What won't be made much of at all is the plain fact that these gifts were gifts. Special not because of just how rare or fancy they are. Special not even because they're things associated with kings or burials or anything else the interpreters tell us. They're special first in the way a snow globe from Ellis Island can be special. Just because they're given away with nothing expected in return. I really didn't mean to put TSA on the side of Herod in this sermon, but it's kind of happening. Herod isn't just an important historical character in the story of the nativity. He's a kind of foil. We know he's a king who's threatened by the arrival of another king, one who happens to be a helpless child born to nearly just as helpless parents. A king whose army doesn't seem to be armed for battle at all, It just hovers in the sky above some shepherds, sings a few glorias, disappears. Jesus is the first anti-Herod of this story. These two kings are almost nothing alike, and we're meant to notice that. But so are the the wise men from the east. They are anti-Herods as well, are they not? In fact, they may be dramatically unlike Herod in ways that are even more directly relevant to people like us living lives like ours even today. Interestingly, the difference between Herod and the Magi isn't about what they believe. Herod's local religious experts agree with the wise men on the central details of the story, the Hebrew scriptures, and apparently the texts or legends of those strange religions further off in the east We're all pointing to the very same child, an anointed one, this Jesus who's just been born in Bethlehem. The difference, as we know, is how people respond. The Magi see a star and they bring gifts. Herod gets the very same news and decides he'd better kill the child. Actually, it's worse than that. When the wise men slip through his grasp, Herod decides he'd better kill off everybody in the greater Bethlehem area under the age of two just to be safe. So it's the gift givers versus the mass murderer now. Matthew is such a subtle storyteller. There are at least a couple of different ways we might explore the story from here. One is to name that power plus fear often equals death in this world. Children still die because powerful men see their power or their nation's power as something that has to be preserved by force, as something that's always under threat, as a possession to be guarded fearfully from every enemy. The way the Epiphany story kind of rhymes with Pharaoh's slaughter of the innocents at the birth of Moses extends this sad truth about our world way, way back in time as well. Or we could also use Herod's response as a metaphor for the damage each one of us can do when we, when we act out of fear and that desperate need for control in much smaller and more mundane ways. We're not bona fide bad guys like him. But even our fears can do more than a little damage to the people around us if we let them. But a few chapters on in Matthew's Gospel, 
when Jesus is all grown up and teaching on a mountain, he says something startling. He says, you know, maybe you haven't murdered anybody. You're no Herod. You're no Pharaoh. But the truth is, you're not another order of being. If you've ever been angry, the same poison's alive in your heart that drives the killer. And when he says that, he holds together in a very uncomfortable way the violence that Herod's fear produces and the mundane failures of milk-toast sinners like you and me. We can live by Herod's values even if we have precious little in the way of power and influence in this world. Or we can shape our lives according to the gospel, according to the logic of the gift. This seems fairly relevant to a bunch of 21st century Christians who are saying their prayers together on the Feast of the Epiphany. It, it might even move a few Episcopalians in Memphis on a day like today to begin their Eucharist with the Great Litany. Because God knows over the centuries the church got pretty powerful, and far too often we behaved a lot like Herod. Innocent people died when a fearful church believed that our faith was a possession to be kept safe and protected and pure. But let's face it. As 21st century mainline Protestant Christians, the headlines all tell us that we're growing weaker by the year and are well on our way to obsolescence. The story last fall in the Episcopal News Service, which should be a sympathetic source, said that if current rates of decline continue, there will be no Episcopalians at all in church on Sundays by the year 2050. Insult was added to injury for us at Calvary when the stock photo ENS posted along with the story happened to be of Calvary's red doors. I probably should have called to let them know we've actually been growing in numbers in recent memory, but we had a pandemic to manage and all, you know. The point is, that even if we might have been 60 or 70 years ago, surely we're not the Herods in this story today. At our scariest, we're more like a bunch of snow globe-wielding terrorists. Kind of pathetic, really. But here's the thing. Anybody can get fearful and start acting like a Herod. Anybody can live as though we need to take a frantic kind of violent control of our lives and our institutions if they're to survive. But if we're truly the church of Jesus, we can't adopt the ways of Herod, which among other things probably means we won't save the church by trying to save the church. We can't be a religious TSA exerting control over every detail we can in what looks like a perfectly rational response to all our fears. What we need is to be more like magi if we're to be Jesus' church. Spending our energy on the act of giving our gifts away to one another, to our neighborhoods, to our cities, to the next stranger who stumbles in upon us. We're to be a community that's continually laying things at other people's feet and letting them go. Tending most essentially not to the things or the influence or the relevance or the membership roles or the buildings that we possess. In fact, you may have heard of congregations who got run out of their buildings and onto Facebook of all places by a virus recently. How scary is that if we are what we possess? But we're not, says the gospel. We are not what we possess, say the magi. We're bearers of gifts, every one of us. 
what we're called to tend to is the church. It's the great exchange of whatever it is we've been given by God to give away. Come to think of it, maybe what we're called to be really is a bit like a bunch of snow globe-wielding terrorists, if you will. Maybe that's exactly how we're meant to move through this world. Maybe that's exactly how we're meant to challenge this violent order. By arming ourselves with worthless things by a violent world's estimation. Worthless things that begin to matter only as they're given away. Bread, water, wine, kindness, welcome, forgiveness. Snow globes, some would call it. Precious, glistening, transformative gifts says Jesus. Gifts that will only come to to life not as we defend them or hold them tight or store them up, but as we give them freely and entirely away. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates, or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.